So the reading tonight is from Hebrews 8, titled The High Priest of a New Covenant. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth he would not be a priest for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the new tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they, they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and ageing will soon disappear. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's a lovely evening to be in church, isn't it? It's really good. So we have the sermon, and then the group will conclude, and we'll be able to go home. There's just this detail of the sermon. You would be so disappointed if you didn't have this. I know. You don't need to say, I understand. A new covenant. About two years ago, I recall having a phone call from a community health worker, um, a nurse, who resolved to move out of uh, hospital work and be involved in the community. And she was particularly interested in working with elderly people. And uh, through the Aylesbury Vale Trust, uh, National Health Trust, um, they were doing a project. And when she told me about this, I didn't take her seriously. I thought one of these bureaucratic brainstorms that are of no consequence. However, she did convince me of the merits of this, and this is what the phone call was about. Old for new. 
old slippers for new slippers. And what surveys had come through uh, in hospitals, particularly people who were admitted with broken bones, hips and uh, so forth, was that in the home, elderly people would have their well-used favourite slippers trundling about the house, very comfortable but not very safe. So they have this project whereby in, uh, like in the day centre here and various places, that they would come and have elderly folk to bring their old slippers which would be replaced by new slippers. There was one condition. They had to leave the old ones behind. You know why, don't you? Older folk, there are certain people who can't help it. They're hoarders. And they think there's still a bit of life left in this yet. And they're so comfortable. That was the one condition. You have to leave the old ones behind in order to have the new ones. And it was for your ultimate safety and your ultimate good. There is a sort of a comfort in old slippers. And the children of Israel felt very comfortable in this old covenant. Particularly having come to faith in Jesus Christ and now finding that things hadn't quite worked out as they'd expected. They became rather disillusioned. They were having a tough time. The Christian faith wasn't expected to be like this. They thought things would be much better than what it was and what it is. Old slippers for new. It really depends on your perspective, doesn't it? For example, old is sometimes good. Old hymns, we just sang one here, slightly with variations. If you look around this village, most houses with the prefix old is expensive. Old barn. There's a bird's lane, old manse. I keep getting the mail. Old manse. Old is good. Old is expensive. Old Trafford. Yes? They can sell one player for 80 million pounds. Old is good. Old-fashioned. Not so good. But it depends on your perspective. New. I'm reading from the New International Version. New Labour. Looking a bit tired now under Mr. Brown. It does depend on your perspective. Or think of the modern gadgets that many of you use and now you would say, I couldn't do, I can't even think what I would do without my PC, without my gadgets on my phone. Last Wednesday, I was in a rugby club watching the British Lions and it was in Durban and I happened to say to this chap I never met before, it must be very hot there. Hold on, I'll tell you, he says. And he gets, and he gives me the temperature, humidity, 
slightly spoils it, doesn't it? Those <laughs> gadgets. What would we do without them? But I guarantee you in six months' time, that's superseded by something else. The problem with these things, they soon become outdated. And ultimately, and this is the word that is used here, they become obsolete. And the final verse, the summing up verse of Hebrews chapter 8 is this. By calling this covenant new, and you see it's in quotations, by calling it new, he has made the first one obsolete, like old slippers, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. There are better ones, superior ones, safer ones. Hebrews 8 then, this new covenant is never out of date. Never out of date. It's vibrant and fresh and exciting and it is never obsolete. And what I'd like to do, and if you keep your Bibles open, we haven't got many cross-references, uh, is just to see how chapter 8 unfolds under the following headings. In verses 1 and 2, what we're going to say is this, that this new covenant is served by a superior high priest. That's why it's always new. That's the reason. And secondly, verses 3 to 7, this new covenant is ministered from a better place, not least from heaven itself. That's why it's always new. And thirdly, verses 8 to 13, the new covenant is grounded on a better promise because it comes from God Almighty who cannot break his word. That's why it's always new. So that's the lay of the land. Just one comment. We've thought about new and old. Just a comment about the covenant itself, which will help us to put the whole thing in context. Interestingly, the word covenant is the Bible's most widely used analogy, the widely used illustration for the relationship between God and his people. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of his covenant, his blood shed on the cross. And so you have this idea of parent and child, shepherd and flock, Saviour and people. And this covenant relationship, though conceived in the Old Testament, now comes into its full light and glory in the coming of the Lord Jesus. For example, just uh, with Noah, the symbol of the covenant, we're familiar with it, is the rainbow. Or do you remember with Abraham, the, sim the symbol of the covenant. God will provide himself a lamb. It's a powerful symbol pointing to uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Oh come, oh come Emmanuel, the covenant ratified in Jesus Christ. So that's by way of, of, of background. And it is interesting that uh, Hebrews um, 8 quotes the pinnacle of promise from the prophet Jeremiah, as we shall see in the course of the sermon. Well, let's, let's push on with this then. Verses 1 and 2. This new covenant is served by a superior high priest. Essentially, the old covenant was never final. For this reason. The priest, the high priest who could go into the Holy of Holies only once in his whole 
um, priestly career could only intercede for the sins of the moment. Only for the moment. And in doing so, atone for that with the innocent blood of a lamb. That's as much as it could do. And you get these parallel themes, don't you? But Jesus goes in and he sheds his own blood. And he declares on the cross, looking back to this whole system, and as he looks back, he looks forward and he says, it's finished. It's finished. And, and, and it's little wonder that the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Now there's a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. An offering, a sacrifice, the Holy Spirit's energies. Now, now we have an advocate, a real advocate with God. Just turn over one page to Hebrews 10, just to get a little insight. And we'll exchange and look as we think about this theme. Hebrews 10 and verse 11. This is what we are saying why the old was inadequate in and of itself. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties, sincere, no doubt. But notice, again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. There's the old. And this pivotal word, but... Verse 12, when this priest, this Jesus, this Emmanuel had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, well, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you see it? It couldn't be, it couldn't be clearer and it couldn't be simpler. If we had children from the S Club, they would see that. It's such a powerful thing. This new covenant is served by a superior priest, our great high priest. And that is so gloriously, wonderfully assuring for us. Christ's priesthood is superior to the old because he is a sinless priest, a perfect sacrifice. If you turn back a page to chapter 7, you get a flashback to this. Chapter 7, verse 26. Here it is again. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. A wonderful description. And that's why this new covenant is head and shoulders above everything else. Read on. Unlike the other high priests... He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins. Not so. And then for the sins of the, of, of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he, when he offered himself. For the law appointed as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed their son who has been made perfect forever. And that is why the hymn writers, and it's very interesting uh, in, in, in choosing these songs and hymns tonight, how they take up these themes. Take up, for example, 
Man of sorrows, what a name. What a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It's finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. And, and what they're doing in poetic ways is pointing to, the, to, to this superior, great high priest whoever lives and intercedes for us. Well, that's the first. And I think that's rather obvious. The second, verses 3 to 7. This new covenant is ministered from a better place. A better place. Come back to chapter 8. Every priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve a sanctuary that is a copy of the shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned. It's not, it's not his plan. You know, we can adapt the plan, the building plan, this, that, and that. No, no, this is non-negotiable. To build the tabernacle. What was it? It's in quotations. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern was shown on the mountain. Because it is pointing. That's the shadow. He is the substance. That's the signpost. He's the destiny. The new covenant is ministered from a better place. A better place. And the final contrast is complete. So gloriously complete. Yes, that was temporal. This one is eternal. That was man-motivated. This is God-motivated. That was earthly. This is heavenly. That was a shadow. This is the substance. This is the reality. And you have that in verse 5. It wasn't, we can't, and some people almost push this perhaps a bit too far to say the old covenant was wrong. It wasn't. It was there until the coming of Jesus and it was superseded and fulfilled in him. I think this will be perhaps our only cross-reference. Just turn to uh, John's Gospel. Just to see this, just as the prologue, the, what we read at Christmas time. Uh, John chapter 1, John's Gospel chapter 1. Very familiar uh, introduction, the word becoming flesh. But just make the connection now with Moses as we have it here. What we're thinking about ministering from a better place. John chapter 1 verse 14. There it is. So familiar, isn't it? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the One and Only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him, John the Baptist. This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. And then there's a pause. And here's another contrast. For the law came through Moses. Fair enough. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The shadow and the reality. The promise and the person. The true sanctuary is in heaven. 
is in heaven. It is a better place. I was taking a funeral this past week. It was a very painful funeral to take. The family, none of them, they said, we don't believe in God, but we want a proper funeral for our father. And um, I was talking about going to prepare a place. I might as well have been talking in Chinese as far as the folk said. No idea. No idea. This is life. And when it's gone, it's gone. Let's have a good ending. But when you think about the words of the Lord Jesus, and isn't it right to ask people this? You are more than body and brain. And when Jesus spoke to his troubled disciples, he spoke to their hearts. Let not your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and take you to be where I am. There you will be also. It's a place. It's not a vision. It's not an idea. It's a place. It's a better place. It's a better place. I go to prepare a place. And it's as if Jesus says, all you can do now, here's your choice. Trust me. You know, sometimes people will say, don't you? Trust me, I'm a doctor. Jesus says, trust me. I'm a saviour. And I've been there before. Trust me. And maybe some situations you'll find yourself in, that's all you've got. It's all you've got. Naked truth. Nothing else. No options. No plan B. I go to prepare a place for you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And then lastly, look at verses 8 to 13. Coming back to Hebrews chapter 8. The new covenant is grounded on a better promise. A better promise. Here's a promise. But God found fault with the people. They weren't able to fulfill this covenant. You see it in verse 7. And then the writer quotes extensively... And I hope that you, if you've got a, a mind like mine, this will help you. It's a very good verse to put to memory. Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Easy to remember. What is it? The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, this is it. And what a superior covenant this is. I will put my law in their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. Do you see this sort of covenant relationship? It's a very powerful thing. It's a full quotation from Jeremiah 31, 31 through to 34. It's a promise in its context coming out of captivity, out of their oppressed relationships. There they were, disconsolate people by the rivers of Babylon. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They got into that mentality, as often Christians do, that somehow God lives in church and I can only meet with him there. 
This covenant relationship is, I am with you always, everywhere, in every situation. And the restoration is the blessing of a new relationship, a new covenant relationship. And you see where it is? It was external. Now it's internal. It was outside. Now it's inside, written on our hearts. I think Jesus had this in mind when he instituted what we call um, the, the, the Lord's Supper. Some people refer to it as the, as the Eucharist or, or communion or the Lord's table, whichever term that is used. When Jesus said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant. You see what he was doing? It was a bridge between then and now. Between outside and inside. Between the Lamb and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm sure you can make those connections. They're so easy, so obvious. But sometimes we might miss the obvious. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Poured out for you. This new covenant is grounded on a better promise. A better promise. And so you have it there in verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Why? Founded on better promises. Better promises. It's really lovely, isn't it? The promise written in blood, ratified in heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. Four brief applications. The first. When we think about this new covenant, it offers internal motivation. This is the implication now of the sermon. Internal motivation and power instead of being driven by external things. Lists, rules, regulations, laws. It offers internal motivation. And so for us, the, the implication, the application is this. When we feel inadequate, when we think we can't measure up, this covenant I will make with my people. And the second application is this, that the covenant is based on a close relationship, a personal relationship, instead of one that is distant and fearful. One hymn writer puts it, the terrors of wrath and of God with me can have nothing to do my Saviour's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from thee. If you're afraid that you have failed the Lord and you've distanced yourself from Him, this is based on a close relationship. Come to me, He says. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden. and I will give you rest. <coughs> And then the third application is this. It provides confidence and assurance. Confidence and assurance instead of insecurity 
and uncertainty. That really it isn't about us keeping it up. It's about God's unbreakable covenant relationship for us. Those times of doubt that come creeping back into our lives and we begin to to question how are we going to survive? Confidence and assurance. I'm with you always, always, always to the end of the age. And lastly and fourthly, this new covenant emphasizes forgiveness and mercy instead of failure and wrong. Our lives are so often shot through with that. That's how we are. That's our nature. And so you have it in verse 12 as he brings the quotation of Jeremiah to an end and he says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. It's a lovely promise, isn't it? That's ours. Not through anything of ourselves. It is the new covenant. The new covenant. Emphasizing forgiveness and mercy instead of failure. And if we are prisoners of guilt eating away at us, this is the promise. I will be merciful and remember your sins no more. So the conclusion is this, that the law functions as a mirror. Sometimes we need a mirror to reveal ourselves, our inner selves, our true selves. It can condemn us. It can show us our fault. But it can't cleanse us. It can point to our wrong, and we may need that. And as Paul says in Galatians, the law could be our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but it can't forgive us. Only Jesus can take the dark stains that are set indelibly on our lives and forgive us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and for sure, The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we say this grace is so amazing, so transforming. And that's the new covenant. Cannot be broken. Cannot add to it. Mustn't take from it. It finds its completion In Jesus Christ. And so, the last verse, by calling this covenant, quote unquote, there it is, new, he has made the first one obsolete, like old slippers. You can't have those anymore. They're good for you. Take them away. Here are better ones, safer ones. What is obsolete and aging will disappear. And what is new and abiding will last forever. It is a new covenant. A new covenant.